Dear past Vicky, don't worry about having everything figured out. Things will always work out for those who are constantly exploring and challenging themselves to improve. Welcome to Dear Postgrad. My name is Jean Claire, one of your Getting Grounded collaborators. And today we have a really special guest. Her name is Vicky Nguyen. Hello, Vicky. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Oh. So Vicky is a kind, unique, and inspirational human being. She's also a peach. Her Myers-Briggs personality type is INFJ, and she's a former Getting Grounded collaborator. Her gender pronouns are also she and her, and she is the founder of Told by J. Doe. Hello, Vicky. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's Crazy to be on the other end of the mic. Uh, I know. For those of you who don't know, she is like the podcast queen. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have her here. She's just like an inspirational business woman, entrepreneur. Very. She's just very well-rounded. <laughs> oh, thank you. I don't know if I'd say podcast queen, but... Uh... <laughs> You're really good at facilitating that, though. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, I was on one of the episodes of Dear Postgrad, and then I had a previous one called Adulting with Vicky a couple of years ago. That was during our um, a retreat, too. Yes. Yeah, we also recorded one during retreat. We're going to go ahead and start off with a grounding practice. So for those of you listening, this is normally like how we start off with any meeting with getting grounded just to check in with ourselves. Let's start off with one word check-ins. Like, how are you doing? Or how are you feeling? Honored. Aww. <laughs> I am feeling nervous. <laughs> yeah. It's just me. <laughs> Vicky and I actually met in college. We both went to UCR. UCR. I was a freshman and you were second year, right? Third? No. Oh my yeah, god. It's been so long. That's crazy. I know, right? It was a long time ago. Dang. But basically like Vicky is like one of those people that we could just like talk about life with and like me being like a tiny baby like all these insecurities and like one of the things that stuck out to us was like with our group of friendship which is like the other collaborators Ashna and Alyssa when we were like little babies one of the things that stood out was Vicky called us a peach and like the way did you want to explain it like the way you explained it with with the analogy just made so much sense and it was just so affirmative and that we still call each other like till this day like a nice reminder I'll let you yeah no totally so I forgot where I heard this quote but it was pretty much you could be the sweetest peach but some people just don't like peaches that's definitely paraphrased but pretty much it's saying 
you can try to change yourself to please others, or you could be the best version of yourself, but accept the fact that if somebody doesn't like you, that may just have nothing to do with you. It's just not their thing. And that's okay. See, you know, like as a young baby, like a young freshman went into like a new world and also like meeting new people. That was like really affirming to hear. What did you graduate with your degree in and how are you like applying it now? I studied media and cultural studies and had a minor in business. I would say that actually it's not so much that I applied the major. And I, I feel like I've told other people this too. What you learn in college isn't necessarily the actual coursework, but the work ethic. When I studied media and cultural studies, it pushed me to analyze different things that I was consuming, different types of media, um, whether it was TV shows, movies, podcasts, magazines, books, anything. And then for business administration, it was very basic business knowledge. And so it actually wasn't the most in-depth, but it did help me think from a more business-minded place. I feel like my business classes pushed me to think from a very operational place. And my media classes pushed me to think from a very critical place. I've used that since then with my passion projects and just in my everyday life with how I try to show up in the world. I love that. I feel like with the conception with like getting a degree is that you have to go, once you get that degree, then you have to get straight into the job that you want to get. But like most people that I meet with like degrees, it's more applicable with like life, with yours, thinking critically, and then also just operations in general. It helped you spark your passions, which helped you like integrate into your work and overall made you get into that area. A lot of people stress about what they're going to major in because they're like, oh, whatever I major in needs to lead me to a career that is stable, that will probably please my parents, all of these different factors. But my intention going into college was that I don't know what job I want to do, so I don't know what major would lead me there. So I just decided to study whatever I was interested in because I figured whatever I'm interested in, hopefully I'll take those interests and find a job where I can apply it versus thinking of a job and getting the skills that will lead to it. You basically took control of what you were interested in and then didn't really put a name to it into the actual career it was like a bridge, like setting up the foundation for it. And even with just like school in general and like work in general, those are two separate identities. And that's not the full thing that defines you, right? Yeah, for sure. What other things, like what other contributing factors would you say like make up you? For the longest time, I attached my identity with my work. And that was probably the most, I guess you could say, like, closed-minded approach that I had at the time, graduating college, because I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. if I want to be the best me or successful me, I need to be successful in my work. So my work has to be meaningful. I have to be passionate about it. I need to be able to practice all of my values with it and, on top of that, make money. And then I realized, you know what, like, my 
identity isn't just my job. And so I don't need to put all of that pressure of fulfilling all of those things through my job. I started doing that through my passion projects and through my hobbies. And more importantly, I thought about my identity outside of fulfillment and thought of my mental health and who am I in this mental health space? Who am I in my friendships? Who am I in relationships? I try to go much deeper into self-actualizing the person that I want to be, the human that I want to be, before figuring out what do I want to offer the world in terms of skill and professional value, I guess. That's like a tough thing to do is just like figure out who you are outside of work, you know, with college just being on that grind of I'm going to get this degree if I'm working at the same time. And there's like that end product of the ceremony. And then you start a new cycle of just going into a job. But like, I love how you started thinking about other contributing factors and molding it into your passion and integrating it into your life. And that that's something that is very difficult to do and doesn't just click automatically. How, how would you say like, brought you to that realization like, oh, there's so many different parts of me more than just a degree and a job. I think I really learned that when I took my first job. I was a marketing coordinator and I helped put together business proposals for a construction company to prospective clients. I thought that was the perfect job for me because it utilized the skills that I already had. And a lot of that was with editorial design. And so I figured, okay, great. It checks all the boxes that I want. It's stable. It's in the location I want. It's correct pay range. It will probably help me with my work-life balance because it's nine to five, not something that starts super early or requires me to work after hours or on the weekends or whatever. But then I realized how, for lack of better words, uninterested I became in the work and how much when my mental health was getting worse and my physical health was getting worse, how hard it was for me to even want to show up and do that work. Because I feel like if there was something else that I was working on for myself, working on my health, working on my passions in life, trying to figure out who I am, trying to figure out what habits I wanted to break or what insecurities I needed to work through, it wouldn't matter where I went to work. But because it mattered so much where I went to work, I think that just shows how empty I was at that time in every other facet of my life, even though on the surface, I seemed like I had everything going for me. I had friends, relationship, job, everything. And I was this really happy-go-lucky person. So you would think that I was very well-rounded, like you've mentioned, but I think I was actually just on the surface hitting those marks, but below the surface struggling with a lot. That could be tough with the whole work area. Like society kind of has like this, this image of like the social timeline. If it looks like we're following that social timeline, then that's what other people might define as success. But internally, we may not be fully satisfied. And it comes up in like a, a confusing construct because it's like, oh, other people perceive me as successful. And even though I hit all these marks, I don't feel as successful. 
you mentioned there with just like with mental health, that's something that definitely I applaud you for listening to yourself and just listening to how you feel versus going on other people define my success versus how I feel and checking in with who I am, how happy I am will then define my success. Exactly. How would you say with dealing with just your mental health, what are some practices that you do for yourself in order to show up for yourself? It's evolved a bit over time, but the first place I started was going to therapy, and that was really helpful. And it actually started when I was in college because at UCR, they had a number of sessions that you can do for therapy per quarter, I think. That's where I started. I had anxiety and panic attacks. I recognized that it was harder for me to get out of bed. I was unmotivated. I was at the point where I was so stressed all the time that my body was stressed too. I was sick all of the time due to my stress. And I knew that had to do with my mental health. And so the first practice I felt like I needed to do was go to a therapist because I needed somebody who is objective outside of my everyday life who is qualified to look at the big picture and essentially help me figure out what's holding me back and what my demons are, essentially. Therapy helped as I got further into my mental health journey. I started to take antidepressants and anxiety medicine, and that was after a really traumatic car accident. Up to the ante, therapy, medications. Afterwards, I went through a lot more events in my life and started seeing a psychiatrist more. And then up to this day, I actually feel really proud of the fact that I've taken managing stress classes, managing anxiety classes, a support group that helps you with interpersonal relationships, managing your emotions and working through different traumas that you have. Because I'm constantly learning how to cope with my anxiety and my depressive episodes because it doesn't necessarily get easier, but managing it does. Those are some of the tools that I've kind of collected over time to help me mentally. Thank you. Really, like, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. You mentioned multiple tools that you can use. Also, like, I deal with anxiety and depression, and we actually had a call beginning of the week where you showed me how to just work through thought habits. It comes off with, like, when you're dealing with situations or just dealing with with just life in general, something might happen that may trigger, like, all these emotions, but and people would just say, like, you just got to, like, get over this. And the frustrating question was, How? Right. And that's like the worst thing to tell a sensitive person. And I would say both of us are very sensitive, compassionate, like people more on the empath side where Mm -hmm. we feel all the emotions because we're just so connected with the world. Mm -hmm. Um, No, but really it's, yeah, I, when people say move on or get over it, I think a lot of people have the best intention where they're saying, yeah, I mean, you know, don't, don't dwell. Like 
you're strong, just, you know, move past it, push on. But yeah, the how is definitely something that no one really tells you because no one really knows. And that's where, for me, a professional came in. That's something also I want to acknowledge that you're able to just take that first step and noticing and wanting to speak because speaking to somebody that you don't know and opening up to them is it's difficult to do and the fact that you said that you want to show up for yourself you want to try you want to be open to raising like your your mental health and just managing it and trying that out is something that I really acknowledge you for doing Normally we would lean, or at least for me, I would lean toward like friends or family, but in given situations, family isn't like the best route to go. Sometimes they're the ones actually like inhibiting some of those like stress factors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And same thing goes with friends too. Like, yeah. The other question that I asked myself that is really important is, okay, I'm going to therapy. Could it hurt? No, um, it might be unhelpful or it might be helpful. I feel like it's very rare that it will be a bad idea. It's, it's definitely worth trying. And I do have advice on that with people who are starting therapy, which is your first therapist that you try out might not be the one. You have to find the one whose approach works with you. I was really lucky that the first person I went to, we clicked. He totally understood me, though his method of talking to me was very helpful. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, it doesn't hurt to try. And also for me, I have a really big issue taking up space. And I think that's because for a long time, I felt like I needed to be small. I needed to not attract attention. I was really scared to ask for help or was always met with this fear that I was not necessarily a nuisance, but I was a distraction from other people's regular day to day. And so when I was seeing a therapist, I was like, you know what, I'm paying this person to be here. And so they are happy to be here. And I know that that is not going to add stress to their day because that is their job. And it's not a healthy way of looking at it because when it comes down to it, people who are truly your family, whether that's through blood or chosen family, Mm -hmm. those people do want to be there for you. It's just, I felt like I was going through so much that I wanted as much support as I could at the time. And so a therapist was right for me for that reason. We've talked about this before. We actually have very similar family constructs where it makes it difficult to go to family because it can be somewhat of a stressor going into it. Like, for example, for me, I can't really, (laughs) I can't really go to my family because most of the stuff that they would say is just don't feel that. Well, why are you, why are you feeling like that? Just ignore it. And they skip the how, which gets me like more frustrated when you helped me use the tool, um, just noticing like thought behaviors, it more focused on things that I can control versus their side, like what they're inputting, they're giving me learning how to route my thought outcome to it. With all those factors, how has 
dealing with um, like mental health and also with work and everything, how has that motivated you to keep going with like your business with you're doing multiple things <laughs> and with also with COVID and with yeah. raise, how, how do you keep motivated and how do you keep going about? Well, I think I am going to be giving you an answer that you may not expect. And at the same time, it's something that I think a lot of people need to hear. And it's that sometimes I'm not motivated. I'm taking a break from all of my passion projects and pretty much any what you call extracurriculars that I have and am solely focusing on myself, my personal life, and doing the job that does pay me. And the reason being is that I'm, like everyone else, going through a lot of changes with the pandemic. And it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot of stress. And I do have a lot of mental health stressors that I'm working through. And so I'm more motivated to take care of that than I am to take care of my passion projects. And that's okay with me. To answer your question about motivation as a whole, what helps me stay motivated is the fact that I have the opportunity to do something about the stuff that's stressing me out. As somebody who's dealt with depression, depressive episodes, feeling suicidal to a degree, you don't always feel like you have control. And you and I talked about this before. It's the illness distorting those thoughts. At least that's how I see it. And so when I'm not in a depressive episode, I see very clearly that I can do something about it. And so I try to hold on to that and remind me of that, regardless of how I'm feeling emotionally. And that's what motivates me to keep going. Mm-hmm. And that's sure, be motivated with work or be motivated with your personal stuff. Just have something that you want to accomplish through your motivations, whether it's personal or professionally. Just have something that you're excited to work on. You put it with a good balance. You know, you're you're taking that time for yourself with everything going on to slow down, which other people may not enjoy because it's like, oh, I'm not doing anything. But there's actually beauty that comes with just stillness and giving that time to yourself, like giving a break, whether it just be like off social media or just taking that time to spend with yourself, like treating yourself, like, you know, bubble bath, journaling, being able to show up for yourself. So that's a thought, you know, with <laughs> like, how do you... Yeah. I think it's okay to not be motivated 100% of the time either. Yeah. We have these lulls. Sometimes you don't want to do anything. And I get that. I've had times where I burnt myself out so much. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, I need to totally recharge. If you want to say I was motivated to do nothing, sure, you can frame it that way. But you can also frame it as I just wasn't motivated to do my everyday activities. When you think motivated, it's like, oh, okay, I need to be fired up. I need to be doing, I need to be doing this. I should be doing that. Right. We're just putting ourselves in a concept that we should be doing something or 
have to be doing something in order to be motivated. But I love how you just mentioned just like taking the time for yourself because that like doing nothing, I feel like is a huge factor in making me motivated to do something. Yeah. And like not even thinking about the timeline of it, like I could just be doing nothing. And how many times have I just like randomly had a thought or idea from doing nothing? And I'm like, oh, okay. There's beauty and there's definitely a lot of strength that comes in with just taking the time to gather yourself. Yeah, and that's totally fair because sometimes your best ideas come when you're not pushing for them to happen either, especially when it comes to creativity or centering yourself or something. Because with my passion project, for instance, it's very emotionally heavy to read anonymous stories from people about events in their lives that really tested their resilience. It's very emotionally draining to read. And at the same time, it's very fulfilling. But you can only deal with so many emotions, especially as a sensitive person who really feels and sits in all of that discomfort. And so before, I feel like I was really motivated to have a busy, productive, fast-paced life because fast-paced equaled productive for me because I was able to look back at my day objectively and say, I did so many things. I completed so many things. But you could also be productively unproductive. And I think that comes with being intentional. And so for me, now I intentionally live a very slow life. And that motivates me to take care of myself because I'm giving myself that space to actually think about what do I want and what am I going to do about it instead of not having any time for myself because I'm so focused on just doing one thing after the other. I remember like even in general, just like recently, like we would just be grinding and grinding and grinding, but you, you start taking on minimalism. How did you get into that? Like going from the extreme of just like, I'm going to be working and grinding and grinding to just, I want to be a minimalist. How did you make that transition? First, I would like to say that minimalism means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm. For me, minimalism is getting rid of the distractions and making room for only the things that bring you true value. That ends up being a lot less stuff because mentally and physically, there's so much clutter. It's helped me to physically get rid of clutter because it requires me to mentally think about, okay, why do I have this? Why do I have this craving for shopping? And a lot of that goes back to, oh, like it's the immediate gratification of, oh, like I got this. It's so fun. It's, I've been looking forward to it or whatever, but it doesn't mean that it brings me any value. And so it actually started because I had such terrible spending habits background. I have bipolar too. And a lot of people who are living with bipolar also have impulses and spending impulses. And before I was diagnosed with bipolar too, I didn't know this. I just thought for some reason, I just really want to spend a lot of money. And then I would find my, I would look back and be like, how did I spend that much money? 
it was very irresponsible of me, but I also felt like, why, you know? And so once I learned that I am bipolar too, and I saw that that is one of the behaviors that a lot of people have, I realized, okay, now that I know why it's happening, I can take care of it. And so I started taking care of my mental health in that way. And then I also started to adapt some of my learnings from the minimalists. They're these podcasters, writers, they have a whole documentary about it. And they have some spending rules. And one of them is, okay, if it's over $30, you wait 30 hours. Or if it's over $100, you wait 30 days. I decided to do, if it's over $30, I still wait 30 days. Unless it is something that I immediately need, then I'll still wait maybe like a week or so to really think about it. I started putting up these boundaries that would make me more aware of my spending. And then that way I ended up getting rid of things that didn't really have value. I started to really think about if I needed things because after a month, maybe I'd realize, oh, I do need this, but I don't need this model of it or I don't need this version. And then I would end up finding more cost-effective alternatives. Like for instance, now that I'm living more minimally, I'm also living more sustainably to save money on things and also help the environment. I'm starting to make my own house cleaning products and beauty products because a lot of them use the same ingredients. And so I ordered the things to make it and I have started the transition. But as I use up my disposable like beauty items or like Q-tips, all that stuff, I am slowly transitioning and reusable alternatives to it. Minimalism is this huge, slow transition of using the things that you already have or getting rid of them when they don't have value to make room for the things that do. I'm trying to add in things of value that are also good for the environment and are good for me. Wow. I always thought like <laughs> minimalism was, was so difficult. <laughs> well, it, it is difficult in general, but like to, to a point where it's just like the first thought when I thought of minimalism was just like having less stuff but the fact that you turned it into like it's this whole mindset of it like good mindset for you you know like the fact that you mentioned it adds value like it adds intention and value versus like relying on the physical things and being more mindful in what you purchase and then taking that into like a whole process of mindfulness like looking at minimalism as a form of mindfulness right and that mindfulness with minimalism supersedes just material things I started to think about which people bring value to my life as well and I was learning about okay there are certain standards of a type of person that adds value to my life. And those are the relationships where I can talk about life or values or the things that truly make me who I am instead of talking about more of the surface level. Like I'm so tired of just being like, hi, I'm Vicky. This is my job. Like it's, it's hard for me to answer the question, who are you? Because I wasn't asked that very much. I was always asked, what do you do? Not who are you? With minimalism, I started to really think about, okay, what relationships can I let go and am okay with and which ones do I care about 
same thing with minimalism is being comfortable with letting go of things. And so I'm learning to not be as attached to things as I usually would. I am somebody who really, really appreciates memories. And so I can get attached to the past, but I think you can appreciate the past and not be attached because sometimes that can cloud the present. For instance, like say there, there's a friend who did so, you went through so many things within the past, but in the present, you don't necessarily have any mutual gain with each other. That's not necessarily something you should hold on to just because of the length of friendship or the things that you've gone through. You should be okay with letting go of people who no longer serve you or that you serve them. I like how you, you, you mentioned taking it deeper into like the relationships because sometimes like relationships can affect multiple factors, like your daily life, the choices that you make, you know, and the fact that you tied it in with minimalism and putting boundaries, like setting up boundaries, because sometimes people won't know where to start, you know, like, if you're in a relationship for such a long time with a friend, and you're like, basing it like unintentionally basing it off of I've been with them for like this many years. So yeah, I've been through this with them. Like, yeah, we go way back. Yeah. And like, I really love how you set boundaries. And for me, one of the ways that I can understand that recently and like setting boundaries is understanding, like we were talking about before, like love languages, mm-hmm. right? Because that lo- noticing like the different love languages and how you receive, how how you give love language with like another person can help you like discover like whether the relationship is still there or not. For those of you listening who don't know like the love languages, what there's like what is it, five five of them. Yes, there's a gift. Words of affirmation. Acts of service. Acts of service. Quality time. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> is, is yours the same as mine? Is it, mine's What's yours? Words of affirmation. Yes. I feel like it's hard for me to say one particular one. Yeah. But yeah. I, would, I would say the most important two for me are quality time and words of affirmation. And that's how I receive love that doesn't necessarily mean that's how I show love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I show love with quality time and also words of affirmation, but I feel like I used to show love a lot through acts of service, but I feel like I did it from a flawed place of thinking. I felt like I needed to do things to show people how much I cared about them so that I would feel like I was doing enough and giving enough and good enough. I felt like, oh, okay, like if I make sure that I do all these things for like my friends or my family or my significant other, then I will feel like I'm good enough. Whereas quality time, I just need to be there and be myself and that's enough or more than enough. And so I feel like my love language of how I've tried to show it has changed for that reason. I didn't think of like acts of service that way, but I can definitely unintentionally see myself with that. Like I, originally I would say like acts of service, which is like doing something for somebody that they, you think they will like, right? That's that. That's oh yeah, cool. totally. That's what I would do. Yeah. And like 
that originally is like a nice feeling because it's like, oh, this person, I know that they're going to like it. But it's also like, what is it, that thought habit that you told me before, connecting it to the thought habit. Uh, mind reading? Yes, mind reading. When you're thinking about what the person wants, what the person enjoys and likes. And sometimes like you do know them enough to know what they like, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean like that's what they want either. Yeah, I felt like whenever going into that, like if I were to try to think of acts of service, like I would try to think of what they like and then unintentionally it would come out with like expectation. Like if I do this, then they'll like it like this and then they will show words of affirmation that'll like rile me up. You know, it's like a give and take. But the dangerous part with that is if you like show it and then the outcome isn't as expected, that could lead toward a rocky road. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's also important to know how other people show and receive love too. Mm -hmm. Because if you show and receive love in one way and someone else doesn't, you might feel like they aren't doing it back. It's not reciprocal. But the thing is, it totally can be. It just looks different. And that's how you appreciate how the other person shows up for you. Because they might not be a words of affirmation person, but their love language is touch. And so maybe they are with you and want to hug you or something. And that's how they show love. But they're not the best with their words, even though you are. Because sometimes, let's be honest, someone's a talker, someone's a listener. I'm a talker. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Understanding love languages is actually something that helped me with, like, my work. Like, well, you you know, like, there's this one group. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, (laughs) understanding, we both, like, gave different love languages. And we both didn't know how to set boundaries with each other because we just didn't understand each other. So it was funny that we, like, we actually sat down and talked about our love languages and it kind of, it's like, that was the clicking point to where we're like, Oh, I can, I can see how that's coming out of love now, you know, because like we didn't understand how both of us gave in terms of our love languages. Right. That was kind of like a bridge, a tool that helped us see boundaries for each other and understand each other, like taking the time to like understand each other. Definitely knowing, like, love languages is a tool to use to set boundaries. For sure. And also to tell people what you want and how you want them to show up for you, too. Like you said, it's a give and take. If you receive something better, it doesn't hurt to let them know, like, hey, I appreciate the way that you show me love or appreciation or whatever. And this is what works really well for me, especially when I'm feeling low or anxious. That's what helps me the most. And then you do the same thing for them and you adjust. I like how we touched on like multiple tools. I felt like we touched on like so many tools that we both use and just like what we learned with discovering ourselves. Exactly like what we talked about in the beginning. Nobody tells you like the how and there's they think that there's like a one way all. But these are just like some tools like using minimalism, using love languages, just understanding yourself, like your passions, taking time to settle and give that time back to yourself to just really discover what works for you. It's asking these productive questions that make you really evaluate what your values are. I think right now is like even the perfect time. You know, like everything, everything is scary because it's unsure. 
but I need to start listening to myself and my body. With everything that you're learning about yourself and exploring with yourself, what is going to be next for you? Like, what are you working toward? What are you trying to learn? (laughs) (laughs) I want to live a very intentional and wholesome life. And I feel like the earliest part of my 20s, I was really focused on my professional development. I would say moving into my mid-20s, a lot of it was my mental health focus. And now I want to say that it's a combination of mental health and also physical health. I've been very on and off with being physically active. And so I would say moving forward, what's next for me is taking care of my body, eating a lot better, moving more, and doing that along with my mental health. Those for me are what come first now. That are top on your priority list. Yeah. I'm not going to be useful to anyone if I can't take care of myself. you got to be able to love, take care of yourself before showing up for others. Mm-hmm. I love conversations with you because it's like, it's so different from what anybody would tell you. Same with one of our collaborators, Alyssa. We're very like, we want to be very protective of like the energy that we allow into our lives, right? Right. That's why I love working with all of you because you ladies just have a perspective that's just like about self-love and showing up for yourself, but not in a way that like other people would think is like, oh, that person's being like selfish, you know? In mm-hmm. a way that's just like, no, you need to be able to care for yourself and like love yourself and your your mental health is worth being heard oh yeah for sure and when you allow yourself to like be heard what stems from that like the creation that goes over like all that is it's just like mind-blowing like just letting the energy flow within you you know yeah part of my thinking comes from the fact that the longer you put something off the harder it may be to fix or improve or whatever. And with mental health, I would rather my unproductive or unhealthy thought behaviors, I would rather have them be improved upon and learn from them earlier rather than later because it will find a way to bleed into your life. And that's why I feel like it's really important to take care of myself first before I take care of or put focus into anything else or anyone else that thought behavior tool would be such a good tool to like share with everyone if you you have time (laughs) can you explain like the whole like the process of it and maybe like the listeners can also write down like those little columns like like how you explain to me like visually what to do yeah that was actually going to be my my closing challenge for everyone to kind of share with them what it is these thought patterns are what help me stop myself from spiraling when i'm feeling anxious about something that's happening to me sometimes you get anxious about something and then you go down this rabbit hole where you're starting to think of, oh, the worst case scenario or what am I doing wrong? Why am I doing it wrong? This Mm -hmm. makes me think of that. And then you just keep going down this little black hole of emotions. (laughs) I got the advice from my therapist to acknowledge what you're feeling anxious about and let it go. 
And for me, I was like, okay, how do I let it go? And that's one of those things where some therapists are like, yeah, you got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But shouts out to Kaiser. They had a class about managing your anxiety. And so I actually <laughs> learned how. There are these thought patterns. I'll list some of them out right now. Magnification, which is when you make it out to be a lot bigger of a deal than it is. For instance, something might stress you out now, but ask yourself if it's going to affect you in two weeks, a month, six months, a year, and you'll realize, okay, on the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. And it's okay if right now it's impacting you a lot because your thoughts are and your emotions are totally valid, but just be aware of how important it really is long-term. So that's magnification. The other one is emotional reasoning, where you're not reasoning from an objective point of view or necessarily with all the knowledge you have, but you're just reasoning it because you feel love or you feel hatred or you feel sadness or you feel anxious. And so that is why you take certain actions. There's all or nothing thinking, which sounds exactly what it is. You're either super great or super terrible. There's discounting positives with a negative filter where you say, okay, like I made this one mistake. And so I totally forgot about this whole big list of things that I did really well. And I'm just focusing on the fact that I made this one mistake, Mm -hmm. which I do a lot. And you just have to acknowledge that we're people, we make mistakes. We are not the quote unquote mistakes that we make. It's more of, there are many lessons that we have to learn. And sometimes it's not exactly how you want it to be, but you kind of have to go through it. So yeah, it's okay to have those negatives and those positives because all of them are takeaways at the end of the day. There's control fallacies where you're anxious about something because you there are things you can't control and you're focusing on what you can't control or believing that you can take all these actions to control it. But when it comes down to it, you can't control how other people feel or the actions that they do. The only thing you can do is control how you react to it and your emotions, which is why this tool is so helpful for me because I realized that I can pull in that anxiety and work from there instead of reacting to what someone might say or do. There's fortune telling where you're trying to figure out, oh, like this might happen in the future. And so I'm going to act this way because I'm super anxious about it. Mind reading where you're assuming that somebody feels a certain way and you know, it, the way they're acting might have nothing to do with you. It could have to do with, I don't know what's going on at work for them or what's going on in their personal life, mm-hmm. which brings me to personalizing, which is a thought behavior where you're always thinking that it's in relation to you, how anyone else, else is acting or thinking when it probably doesn't have anything to do with you. And that for fortune telling and personalizing, all you have to do is ask ask the person like, Hey, like, what are you thinking? Because in my head, I'm going down this rabbit hole where I feel like I did something wrong or that I'm not good enough or something. All you need to do is ask. It's very, very simple. It's hard to do, but the more you practice it, the easier it gets. Yeah. Yeah. There's also like, what if thinking where you're trying to say, Oh, if I do this, then this will happen. If I don't do this, then I risk like, all these things happening. The thing is, okay, you can't control 
what the outcome is. You can control what you do. So that just comes with, you know, are you willing to take the risk and learn from it Mm -hmm. or take the safe way and, you know, maybe not experience that. And then there's negative comparisons when you're looking at what everyone else is doing and you're looking at what you believe you lack in relation to them. And the last one is willing victim where you feel like, oh, well, I'm the victim of this situation and I feel defeated, so I'm not going to try. So you're willingly becoming the victim of a situation when you don't have to be. You take all of those thought patterns, magnification, emotional reasoning, all or nothing thinking, discounting positives, control fallacies, fortune telling, mind reading, what if thinking, negative comparisons, personalizing and willing victim. You essentially log what is triggering your anxiety and then you identify, okay, which thought patterns are being displayed in this situation that's making me anxious. Then you figure out, okay, what's the initial thought that I have? And, you know, that's the anxious thought. Then you figure out, okay, what can I replace this thought with if I'm taking away all those thinking patterns? And then when you think of a replacement thought behavior, um, for instance, like, oh, so-and-so is acting this way, not because I did something wrong, but because something's going on in their day. That's the replacement thought. Now, what's the replacement behavior? I want to support that person. I'll ask them what's going on if there's anything I can do to support and that helps a relationship, no matter what kind of relationship it is. And then you have a new anxiety rating. How do you feel after you did that whole practice? And for me, after I did it a few times, I started being able to do it in real time. Mm. And that was really helpful because it would prevent me from having my anxiety escalate into an anxiety attack or a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And that became a really, really helpful tool for me. I like how you said that it's not something that's automatic. You were practicing this and you gave an example like with family and how you mentioned how just verbalizing, let me listen to you and understand like your side because that person is getting riled up and they just want to be heard showing up for them, but also showing up, keeping mindful of yourself where you're like, okay, I need to take time for myself to process this in order for me to show up even further. That was the example of just being able to write down what caused that and really think about and be mindful in that situation. And Mm -hmm. doing that in practice will help you in real life process that. Because, you know, whenever somebody goes up to you and says something, anything negative or does a negative action to you or triggers something, you immediately like go into like, oh, oh, you know, like panic. Yeah. And it's not something that you can like have out right away. So I love the fact that you, you actively do it so that that's something that you take and make manageable. Sometimes if you're feeling personally attacked or defensive, I feel like that has to do with things that you're already self-conscious about. And it could also actually not be a personal attack, even though it feels like one. It's more of that person pushing their own expectations of themselves or their own values on you. And so even though it might feel like a personal attack, it actually has nothing to do with you. And so if you're able to identify 
why this person is even saying this to you in the first place, you can identify that it doesn't have anything to do with you and therefore won't hurt you. You put the control now in your hands. Like you're able to visualize and see and think about what you can control. Exactly. That's definitely something that I'm trying to work out. Doing that practice definitely like also helps me understand and listen more. Oh yeah. Because the more that you listen to them, the more you're able to take that information and comprehend it versus just like stating how you feel right away and acting on impulse. It's like you're gathering all this information and the more information, the better, because then the more you can process and work and need out, you know, bread reference so you can rise. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, no, that's, that's, that's totally true. The more information you take in and also the more you listen to them, the more willing they will hopefully be to listen to you too. Because sometimes at the end of the day, people just want to feel heard. And whether they're, whether you feel like they're flawed in what they're thinking or not, listen to it and then try to read between the lines of why they're even saying what they're saying. And then that will help you figure out, okay, how do I maybe use their love language to communicate that I understand what they're saying. And also this is how I feel about the subject. And this is what I will stand by. That develops like a relationship to where once you get comfortable with it, like this is something that I recently used with my family is like, I would, once I got used to that, I'm able to say like, this is what's going on in my mind. Like I'm just venting right now. But I also take it a step further and say what I would like to receive back because they'll go on on a tangent and just start to self-victimize them and it's no longer you venting to them. It's now... They make it about themselves. Exactly. And so being able to now communicate and say, this is what's going on. I know you love and care about me. I don't need you to give me advice per se, but just to listen to what I have to say and like communicate that like, because sometimes whenever you vent, the automatic response of a person would be to just give advice back. And sometimes that advice can hurt you because mm-hmm. it's like now becoming about another person or they just, they start saying advice that's not really like, like just shut off those emotions. Like just don't feel like it's just some, it can be in that situation. So just being able to communicate, like, I just need you to listen. Or I just need to let that out. Just yeah. that clear too. I think it always helps to share your intention with yeah. the conversation. Like, I want to have this conversation with you because this has been on my mind and I feel like it is healthy for us to talk about it. With family, it can be hard. It could be, this is not for me to victimize myself, to blame you for anything, to cause any drama. It's just merely to get this off my chest and for you to hear me out and then for me to in turn hear you out, just not all at once. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you for like just being able to be super vulnerable like with us. And I feel like with a lot of our conversations, we do get pretty open with each other. And how many times have we said after like, dang, imagine if like, uh, like everybody just like was able to like converse in like the same time. Cause I feel like our conversations are so unique, you know? And so yeah. 
thank you for just coming on here and just being able to to be open and being very vulnerable with like a lot of aspects of your life for other people to hear you know like and going through the same thing i felt like you've definitely helped me realize the how portion to do which is one of the things that's like the most frustrating in dealing with like understanding myself like mm-hmm. definitely show you show a lot versus like tell but the when you do tell you explain it so well that it explains the how thank you vicky i love you so much you're welcome i love you too you're the best peach ever (laughs) congrats you guys made it through another episode of dear post grad with your special guest today vicky newen as always we would like to leave off with a special challenge for you all and we invite you guys to do Totally optional, not mandatory, but for this challenge, we want to identify and work through your thought patterns, as Vicky mentioned just a couple minutes ago. Just pull out a journal, you can you can write it down, whatever you want, but you're just going to make five columns, and in the first column, it's going to be the thought habit, second column, anxiety rating, third column, your automatic thought, fourth column, your replacement thought, and then the last column would be the replacement behavior. So don't worry if you didn't get all of that, we'll provide a document in which you can use as a visual template uh, when you do journal. Thank you guys again for joining us. If you guys like this episode or have any opinions on it, we would love to hear from you guys by leaving us a review. And if you do leave us a review, DM us, let us know. We want to be in contact with you and talk to you one-on-one. And just personally, thank you guys for leaving that review for us. Hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Little affirmations for you. You are kind. You is beautiful. You is wonderful. You is smart. Thank you guys again. Bye.